0: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here joining you. We've got, uh, well, you know, it's a busy end to the spring, so joining me today... Uh, for the first time on the podcast. You saw him on Night Shift. Bryson Turner is with me today. What's up, Bryson?
1: Hey, Jeff. It's good to be on the podcast with you for the first time. This is actually my second podcast episode. I was on with Eric a few weeks ago. That's right. This is the first time I'm doing it with you, though. First time
0: time we've been together on the podcast. So um, this has become our spring sort of wrap-up show, if you will. Eric is busy off doing the Women's College World Series. He's Staying up all nights, odd hours, working—you know—you know—covering the softball beat. So it's going to be me and Bryson with you today. We're going—it's going to be a pretty short show um, compared to what we usually do because we only have really two things we got to talk about, which is UCF baseball, obviously making their run to the American Championship. um, Unfortunately, losing to USF eight to seven in a a real thriller of a game, Um, just just barely coming up short in that game. Uh, and you know, and short of making a miracle run to the American Championship, and then of course, we'll preview track and field in the NCAA East regionals, uh, with two UCF Knights competing. And, uh, and then from there, I, you know, we'll pretty much be be wrapping this thing up, Bryson, because it's, uh, you know, relatively short show. We're heading into the summer, things are going to be a little bit, um, uh, a, a little bit leaner during this during this time, but you know there's going to be some news that we'll be talking about during the summer that we can riff about a little bit later. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started. By the way, um, no podcast next week. We're going to take the week off. The following week, we're going to do our uh, banner, a black and gold banneret award nominations, um, and uh, and then fo- and then the week after that, we will actually pass out the awards once the fans have had the chance to uh get their uh voices heard uh on uh, on those nominations. So, but let's go ahead and get started with uh UCF baseball. What a run uh in the American Baseball Championship. Uh of course, they lose to USF 8 to 7. Um fell down 6 to nothing in the first two innings, but then fought back uh valiantly. Uh, you, uh two runs in the fifth four runs in the sixth to get back in it um top performances for UCF Josh Crouch had a home run that kind of got things got things started the big inning was the sixth for UCF um where uh, uh, where uh Alex Freeland had a clutch double that got the Knights to within one to within two uh Nick Romano got UCF to within one but you know the UC, UC, the uh, Knights in the last Two innings in the eighth and the ninth had the tying run in scoring position and couldn't punch it across. Um, uh, credit to uh, the bullpen who did a fine job uh, giving up only two runs after six. Uh, after uh, AJ Jones, you know, just kind of just didn't have it in the first two innings. Um, Zach Bennett actually had the most impressive performance on the hill. Uh, Retire, uh, you know, through three perfect innings in relief, struck out four. Um, boy, did he look good um, in that uh, <clears throat> in that in those last three innings. And man, I'd like to see a little bit more of him on the hill. Um, but the bottom line is UCF comes up uh, short and no uh, and, and obviously no chance to make the NCAA tournament field as an at large because the Knights finished 31 and 30. uh overall in the season but let's take a look at that season because bryson because 31 and 30 18 and 14 in conference um they scuffled and fought and scraped they were they were so down below 500 and in a really up and down season i mentioned on twitter bryson that the game against usf was a microcosm of the season you know it was up and down all year fought through adversity you know, obviously the two the two out of three at number one Ole Miss, and then you know right after that they lose four straight, um, you know to Stetson, and then three to Liberty. Um, you know, then they win four out of five, and are or, or actually six out of eight, and then you know they go on a slide as they start uh, conference play. It was just a wild up and down season. But we saw some development from some young, some young players. They fought through the uh, adversity of injuries to guys like you know Colton Gordon, who was their ace, um, <clears throat> Matt Archer, who you know had gotten off to such a great start with his bat. Um, but then the team you know pulled it together late in the season, uh, won five of their le- or excuse me yeah five of their last six uh, in the regular season, and then won their first two in Clearwater before you know the, the doubleheader against ECU. And really, I think the the best victory of the season was that game against ECU on Saturday. That second game, the two to one win, um, and it was almost that game against USF. But you know that two to one win, um, where Alex Freeland, um, you know, contributed both uh, RBI for UCF uh, with a homer in the second, and then the um, insurance run in the ninth, and uh, for and David Litchfield was able to get a three inning save, and Hunter Patterson with just a magnificent outing, six innings, gave up only three hits, struck out five, no runs given up. Let's listen to Greg Lovelady immediately following the game.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, mean, losing in the championship always is difficult, but um, I'm really proud of the kids. Um, You know, obviously we got down early. Just, you know, they did a good job of just making us pay for some mistakes and uh, got some big hits. And, um, you know, but just like we've been all year, our – the dugout energy was great. Like, I never felt like we quit. Like we could have laid down and just been uh, done with it after the second inning, and we just fought like crazy. Um, and, unfortunately, we just ran out of time. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a chance with the tying run at second base. And, but, we, I mean, we had a lot of chances all game. We just couldn't capitalize. We left too many guys on base. We out hit them. Um, but uh, they, just, they just got the big hits, and we weren't able to come up with enough of them um, and, uh, and turn some of those – one run innings into three run innings. And, um, you know, and, and, again, we had a chance to second and third, nobody out when we scored one run, um, you know, just situations like that, that we just, we just couldn't get it done. So proud of the bullpen. They did a great job, um, especially Zach Bennett and Nick Vieira, two freshmen coming in and um, and pitching like they did. Uh, they were awesome. And hopefully uh, the experience that we need, um, you know, to do it again uh, in the future. Uh, so, you know, obviously, um, you know, Freeland had a great game and did some great things and big hits. And, um, you know, we just, we just didn't have enough of them. And, um, you know, difficult. You know, a lot of guys' last games here, uh, you know, obviously Rathbone and Jones and um, most likely Pena and, and, um, and Crouch, and, but they played their tails off. They never quit. Um, and and I'm, I'm really proud of them. We could have rolled over and died in March. Uh, or April, and uh, just more bad things kept happening, and even this week, and we just kept showing up. Um, Jordan Rathbone you know, dislocates a pinky in, in April and breaks his thumb in May, and um, never misses a game, and just continues to play through that stuff. Like um, we just we just uh, we did it all year. We just kept showing up to practice, um, and uh, the players kept showing up and putting work in, and that's how you play your best baseball at the end of the year. We did that. Um, you know, you would like to finish it off with the with championship, but it just it just wasn't in the cards. And um, But a good life lesson for these kids to learn that uh, even when things don't go your way or, or, you know, you feel like the deck is stacked against you, you, know, I mean, you just show up every day, the sun keeps rising, you just keep putting in the work and, and, and just keep trying to make the most out of every day. And, you know, good things happen to, to people that do that. So hopefully this will be something that as they move on to the rest of their lives that they'll remember and the guys that are coming back, um, you know, just remember the struggles that we went through. Remember the hardships. But also remember that um, when you put good work in, it, that good things can happen. And, um, you know, we, we learned how to win. We learned how to fight. We learned how to come back. We learned how to compete. Um, just took us longer than I wanted to, but we learned it. And hopefully that, that translates into to going into next season and into the fall and we continue to grow on that. Um, and, and we're better for it next season.
0: Um, what was the highlight for you, I think? Let me, let me talk about... Let's talk about Clearwater in particular. What was the highlight for you? You were covering every game very closely. Um, you know, what was the highlight for you for for that week of five games where UCF came within 180 feet of possibly winning a conference championship?
1: I think really the hot, the, the big story for UCF is just the fact that we managed to put everything together, I think. Like, even though we lost – this the the UCF did what you need to do in the postseason which is be able to put everything together when you need it to even if it didn't work as well before um for instance for instance Nick Romano uh I his his tournament story I'm really amaze really amazes me because he had if I remember four RB four RBIs in the regular season once we got into the tournament he ended up going off and getting just as many RBIs in the tournament as he has for the entire season before that. So he final so to see him be able to find finally find some success after having a really rough year after hurting his hamstring, that was a major that was definitely a major victory. And of course, great success coming to a great player at the right time. I think that's and I think that's really something that defines this tournament if I'm completely honest with you, if, if honest with you, um, Josh Crouch, you know, he managed to hit multiple home runs in, in uh, Baycare park. That's something that Crouch has. I, he, let's just say he hasn't had like the month long, like Homer streak that Jordan Rathbone has had. So to see him go in that hot streak in Baycare park with hit with there, that wasn't great. Alex Freeland. You know, he he's somebody that when I as while I've been covering this team, he's been a great freshman. But, you know, obviously, with all everyone else going, you know, doing their thing, he hasn't really done anything to where to to stick out to me so far. This tournament, he did that. This um, Tom Joston, that inside the park home run, amazing highlight on this amazing highlight um, as far as pitching Zach Bennett. I mean, like, like you said before, Zach Bennett really put on a show this, tur- this tournament. Makes me very excited to see where he goes. Whether it's going, whether he succeeds David Litchfield as the closer, which I could see him doing, or because of how long they could stretch him out to be a starter. Uh, to be a starter, which brings me to Ben Vespy. Mm-hmm. Ben Vespy did an amazing job on the mound on the mound this this uh, tournament as well, going long going long innings as well um nick vieira had a nick vieira freshman nick vieira had a very solid tournament it basically i'm I'm look i'm going through all of these players because a lot of them just were able to put their play their best baseball at the right time and that's what led us to almost to almost winning
0: yeah and jackson claire too in that memphis game boy was he good
1: Oh yes, for sure. Um, I'll pro- I'll talk about this when we when we get into the championship game in USF because I do want to talk about the that that specific game a little bit and what the Bulls did that managed to give them the victory. But basic, but no, yeah, Jackson Sinclair did a great job and did a great job and really did a good job backing up Hunter Patterson after that game one start. The um yeah it was it was a little rocky
0: after they you know but there were a couple of you know highlight moments obviously the big nine run inning against cincinnati in the opener um to get the 14 to 10 victory it wasn't looking good and then all of a sudden like you said you could see things kind of you know show up all of a sudden for them and they and and they got and and they pulled it together at the right time um and the bats just got hot. I mean, 31 runs in those first two games, and you're thinking, "Man, is this going to continue?" Then they run into East Carolina twice, and ECU. I mean, the, you know, they were going to make the, the NCAA tournament anyway. Um, you know, and we knew that we were going to get their best shot in the in on Saturday, and lo and behold, they took it. Um, you know that. You know that said. I mean, it's not like UCF didn't you know played poorly on that in that first game on uh on saturday um you know kenny serwa actually you know even though he did he did kind of struggle you know you mentioned ben Vespi who came in and threw five innings of relief and kept ucf in the game struck out six over those five innings um that was key because the knights did still have a chance in that game late um but you know the bats just couldn't get going against the uh, ecu pitching staff um and it wasn't looking good until that second game, uh, when UCF you know managed to get that outstanding outing, um, from uh, uh, uh from Hunter Patterson, uh, and then uh, and then David Litchfield, um, and that was on short rest to Hunter Patterson getting that getting that done. I think that was probably the most impressive thing. Hey, look who's joined us! Who's taken a break from uh, who's who's flown back supersonically from uh, Oklahoma City here. Eric Lopez is with us here on the show to talk some UCF baseball. I didn't think you were joining us, dude. What's up? Hey, Eric. Oh, well, you
3: know, just dealing with other issues going on in softball. So just distracted me for a few minutes, but I'm here. Softball
0: woes out here is, is, uh, is breaking. What's happening now, Eric? Come on, spill the beans.
3: I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm not going to get into some of the stuff, but let's uh, just a lot of movement going on. And then also talking to my bosses and – softball world about correcting some things they should have done. But anyway, that's a whole other story.
0: <laughs> softball will just add it again. My goodness. Anyway. It's like the
3: baseball. It's like the baseball season. Some ups and downs.
0: <laughs> so let okay, so let, let's get your mind off of softball because I know it's driving you crazy right now. Yeah. Um we were talking Bryce and I were talking about the um the, the highlight of the week uh for UCF baseball uh in Clearwater. What was the highlight for you following you know this five game run where UCF came, like I said earlier, 180 feet from tying, uh, from possibly winning a conference championship.
3: Well, I think the, the positive is you make a run to a championship game for the first time for the program since 2002. This program hasn't played for a conference tournament title since the A Sundays in yeah. '02, and I think that's something to put in perspective. I think for some of the audience here, because I feel like. To be honest, some of you
0: people I, weren't alive when that happened.
1: <laughs> I was only two, I was only two, I was only two years old. Like what, depending on what month it is, I was either one or two years old. When that oh
0: my was. god, oh my god, you're so well, good. anyway.
3: I think it's important because I think some of the audience the expectations. I feel like I think like UCF baseball is kind of like the Cleveland Browns in that you know they have a you know we have a good fan base tradition, but we act the the expectations are like if we're the Pittsburgh Steelers when we're not. Like the Browns are not in the Steelers level; they never
0: will be in the Steelers level. I think that's a little harsh. Yeah, I would say it's 5-0 in Super Bowls. I mean, the point is, well, I, well, I would, I would, Cleveland Browns, like they've never even been to the Super Bowl. I mean, UCF has won conferences before in in the in Cleveland the played like, for granted, conference title. A Sun, it's a much, di- it was a much different, right. you know, competition gradient right. back. I would say, Yeah, they're more like the San Francisco Forty Nine ers. Would you say?
3: No, the Niners were the team of the 80s. I mean, I, I would say
0: Knights that's my the point. Team the, Knights were the team of the 90s in the A-Sun.
3: Okay, I mean- that was the 90s. I mean, that's the point. It's This is the 2020s. Like, I think that's the thing. We think it's the 1990s, but it's not. I think we have this expectation that this team should be a tournament team every year. The, 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 the facts are they're not. They, they haven't been. They've since 2004 they've only been to the tournament three times so I think there's building blocks here and I think the hope is is that this tournament run is the beginning of a good positive 2022 this year was a quite frankly a year from you know hell I mean nothing (laughs) went right nothing went right and in a a
0: lot of ways well a few things went right like what I mean Hunter Hunter Patterson he was Coming terrible up, the run. first half of the year. That's right. But he put it to I mean, put, put it, it together down. at the right time. Too late. Alex Riley. It almost okay. wasn't. It almost wasn't too late though. That's the, and they hate a couple things. Th- like we said when they put it together they were as good and, as anybody in the country. The 2-3 yeah, against Ole Miss, for example.
3: But it wasn't enough times. That's the point. This season was up and down. Too many things went I mean, wrong. As soon as I'm just saying going, we've
0: been through seasons from hell and that this isn't what one was.
3: No, it was. I was. I, I mean, considering the expect, I, I get the expectations from the internally from the roster after 2020. I mean, think about it. This team was a top 25 team when 2020 ended. And unfortunately that they couldn't carry that over to 2021 because of a lot of fair factors. This team had injuries to deal with. Colton Gordon's injury was huge. They lost Matt Archer to injury. Heck even in the conference tournament, they lost Zach Hunsinker. got hurt. Um yeah.
0: Let's let's not forget. Let's not forget that whole pandemic thing that happened between the end of 2020 and that
3: screwed this baseball (laughs) program. No, no UCF team was hurt more by the pandemic at uh, completely than the baseball program because that killed their momentum that 2020. And that's what I'm saying. This team was cursed or, or however you want to use it. They just had bad luck. Even when they had short-term success like the Ole Miss series, they couldn't follow it up the following weekend. There was always something that went wrong. And that, in a lot of ways, the championship game against South Florida was kind of the microcosm of that. You know, they, they got off to a bad start, dug themselves a hole, came back, played pretty well in the middle of the game. you think they could pull it out, but they just couldn't. And that's kind of the way the 2021 season went. Hopefully, 2022, when that comes around now, there will be a normal fall, normal spring, uh, and hopefully this program could get some good luck because they didn't get many good, they didn't get good luck in 2021 at all, at all.
0: Let, let me ask you about those expectations too. Um, just real quick, because I like you, I don't think those expectations are fair. I think a lot of fans are comparing, you know, the success of UCF baseball to the days of the A sun when the fact is right. UCF basically dominated the A sun. Correct. It wasn't until later on that Stetson and FAU kind of came along and, and, and got good again. But those are Florida baseball teams, right? And you can play year round, you can play the best competition year round. The American, you know, they, they were the big fish in the little pond. Now it's a lot different in terms of the competition gradient, like we were talking about. I don't think it's fair to expect, you know, UCF to, you know, or any team in the American, for that matter, to to compete year in and year and like utterly dominate the way that UCF is. And, and I know some fans are probably hearing this and say, Hey, what about East Carolina? They've been do- Well, they're having a run right now, but how long is that going to last? Right? So is it, it, what do you think about that? Is it, is it, and, and, and Bryson, I want you to weigh in, weigh in on this too after Eric, do you think that it's, that it's fair for fans to say, well, we should be competing every year like this. This year was a failure. I, I'm not saying that. I haven't seen anyone say that the year was a failure, but, but I think their their expectations are too high because they just they, they're just they don't understand the context of where UCF's program is right now in in college baseball and how much talent is around them.
3: I agree, and I think you have to look at the last. I don't think the like. Greg Lovelady a good coach. He led Wright State to a regional final. Uh, he's not the problem. At some point, you have to look in the mirror and say, okay, maybe there's some things here that, that need better. They just upgraded the facilities, which is nice. That being said, I'm sorry. Like, there's a, not to call it out, but there's a scoreboard there that's been there since, you know, I think Ronald Reagan was president. Um well, that's a kind of a been problem. there since
0: well that's a little bit of an exaggeration but it's been there since we were students.
3: Well, that was what uh, George
0: Bush 15, 15 years ago. I can,
3: a lot of George Bush. Not not that old
0: Eric. Come I feel on. old. I feel old. The, um, the the George W Bush administration.
3: Right, but here's the I point like the facilities are not up to par to a Mark Light in Miami. Or Florida, who just built a new baseball stadium this right. year. Right. Uh, heck, I would have taken their old stadium. they could. I wish they would have just given us the old stadium that they had in McKeithen. Uh, Dick Calzier Stadium is one of the best baseball fields. I mean, you look at the facilities across the country, Coastal where, there's, there This is not the, the the hot spot, if you will. Uh, doesn't mean you can't win. I think you can, but I think it takes time. And I think if you've, you know, and, and Bryson knows this, he's gotten to know Coach Lovelady. They're about development players. You have to develop players to be successful in college baseball. And uh, that got hindered by the pandemic because think about this. People forget this. There was no summer ball last year. There was yeah. no fall ball that hurts. Baseball as a whole. Um, and by the way, if you looked at the field of the NCAA tournament, like programs like Louisville is one of the top programs that usually makes the world Series. They didn't even make the tournament. So there's a lot of parity in the sport. There's, there's not a big difference between team one and team 79 or 80 on the field uh and so really a lot of times it comes to good fortune and you look at what Greg has done since he's been here, you know, he took a team that quite frankly had no business of winning an American conference title with all due respect to the players on that roster. That was not a talented roster and they won a conference championship out of nowhere. They were picked near the bottom that year. 18, they were one of the and 19, they were one of the first four teams out uh before making the mm-hmm. field. they were literally a game or two out of, you know, making the field. I thought they should have made it in one of those two years.
0: Yeah. I, I, I will say in 17, I, I think that that group was just starving for different leadership after yeah, being right. worn down by Terry Rooney for a long time. Um, You know, uh, and, and that's that's not to disrespect Terry Rooney, but, you know, his coaching methods really wear down on guys. And, um, and, and, and you could tell. They were just that, – that was a talented team – he put together a talented team but they were just not responding to him. And then when Greg came in in 17, that you know that fresh new perspective really it, it was very similar to O'Leary versus Frost. very similar.
3: interesting yeah except O'Leary left Frost with more talent than, than Rooney did to Lovelady and Lovelady still figured out a way to win. So uh, it's pretty remarkable. But in baseball, remember, you know, it takes a while to get your recruits in. And we were starting to see that, I think, last year. And last year, I think they were going to be a team that was going to contend for the conference championship. And unfortunately, it came to an end. Uh, and then this year, there's just a lot of things went wrong. And I think we have to keep that in mind when people want to say, well, the coaches, you know, the coaches, the problem. We, we need to stop with that nonsense. We need to grow up. All right. Just because of, you have, uh, you know, Jeff, whatever happened to the days. Remember, Bill Parcells had a, l- a few bad years, didn't he, with the Giants? Like, like he's a whole he in-
0: fired. He almost got fired in eighty four. I think he took over in eighty one and he almost he almost got fired. Um, the Scott Bruner year was pretty bad. And then he finally and then he finally put it together. You know, we just got word, you know, Coach K. Is going to retire at the end of uh, at the end of this upcoming season with Duke. Uh, more than likely, John Shire is going to take over for him. But people forget Coach K's first few years at Duke, not great, not great at all. And then it was this past season like, wasn't very good either. was no. the
3: tournament. Um, yeah,
0: and then and then all of a sudden that Johnny Dawkins team, you know, got hot and went on a run, and that's what saved right Coach knows. K's career,
3: right? And look at—I mean, Parcells missed the playoffs. I want to say in '87 and '88.
0: They missed. They missed the playoffs in '87. They missed the playoffs in '88. This was right after that that spectacular year in '86, when they were one of the greatest teams of all time. And then in '89, they get knocked out of the playoffs in their first in in their first game at home by the LA Rams. Right. So, so
3: and he's a Hall of Fame coach. Right. And You know, I don't remember Giants fans calling for his head.
0: Uh, because of that. And I feel like, and not just, it's just not just the UCLA Well, they things. probably were, to be fair, it was New York. Were you? <laughs> you weren't. I didn't know football existed back then. Anyway. <laughs> wow, you missed the good times at the Giants there. But anyway, so the point is, I was like know, a toddler.
3: Uh, you have to put every year into context and what went wrong. There's a lot of things that went wrong. I don't care. Put any coach you want in that chair. They're going 31 and 30. In fact, they're probably going worse. I actually think I'm stunned that they even got to the championship game and went 31 and 30 because this was a season that I thought a million times was gonna be headed dead south to go like 22 and 38 or something like that. And it didn't happen. And so um, hopefully they get back to the developmental uh, deals there and, and get some good luck and get some health uh, for 2022 and they could bounce back and have a good year. It's gonna be an interesting off season though because Justin like every other college athletic uh, sport right now there's this transfer portal and it's the wild, wild West. We got free agency yep. and Bryson, uh, as we, you found out in that press conference, Greg, not the biggest fan of the transfer portal and how it's all set up. Is he?
1: No, it's not. I, from what I understood, he does understand the the value of if you are in college and you won't, and you see that you won't be able to get a chance to have playing time, then you, then you should be, then you can check elsewhere. But this wild wild west approach is something that he isn't isn't exactly a fan of so yeah he does understand why the transfer portal exists that I think this whole this whole wild wild west the fact is like you said kind of it feels like a de facto free agency Mm -hmm. so
0: well well, let me ask you uh, let let me uh, I wanted to get in there and 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 talk to you about that because like when we talked to Greg at, at the beginning of the season you know he said that um, it's going to take a good, in his estimation, five years for you know college baseball to sort itself out post the big shakeup at the major league and at the professional level, majors and minors, the new agreement. Um, it's going to take a while for that to filter down, plus the transfer portal, which, by the way, there was a lot of movement in baseball before, in college baseball before, unlike what you see at other places. It's really hard these days to develop a solid group that you can coach for two to three years together and really develop. Um, And, and so you kind of, you're kind of in this position where you have to, you know, see how much you can develop a guy in one year. And, you know, for example, we actually just got word Nick Gatilla, left-handed pitcher, uh freshman from Davenport, Iowa this past year, just announced that he's in the transfer portal. I don't know who else is going to be in the transfer portal for UCF, but we'll probably find out in the coming weeks. Um, Hopefully it's not many, but we don't know. Who knows how it's gonna shake out. But but Bryson, I wanted to. I
1: wanted to
0: yeah, plus plus a draft. We don't know what's gonna happen with that. So Bryson, as I look at this roster, uh, let's see. Uh Jordan Rathbone is probably not gonna come back. You have a few guys who could come back, and you know there's really only one true senior in AJ Jones. You got some redshirt juniors out there: Litchfield, Serwa, Billy McKay, Salt, Install, all those pitchers. Um, Josh Crouch. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, w- w- with him. Like, I don't know if he might try his hand as, uh, uh, you know, in the pros after the year that he's had. And I, I was, I've been really impressed with Josh Crouch this year. I think he he would probably be like the team MVP if he asked me. But um, what do you think this year? Because th- this is a young roster still. Um, Do you think that we'll see some of these veterans come back or do you expect to see a lot of movement a la what we've seen the last two years with UCF baseball?
1: I think it's really going to come down to the MLB draft. It's going to come down to that because if we're just basing it off of who's leaving based off of senior based off of seniors, because looking at I want I want to look at senior night. Because when senior night mm-hmm. happened, they honor obviously they honored Joe Skinner because this would have been his senior year. By the way, I have loved seeing the tradition they had the season where the where the player the game of the previous game yeah. were yes. Joe Skinner's 38. That's a really great tradition. And I love to see if they maybe keep that up or something. That would be that was really cool. But besides honoring Skinner, they also honored Jordan Rathbone and AJ Sirwa or not no AJ Jones, sorry. Right. Both seniors that look like they're leaving like the fact that they're honoring them makes me makes me think they're leaving Jabrathbone and jones they, however they also were supposed to be honoring kenny Serwa because i was reading the uh i read the preview before the series and it said they were honoring kenny Serwa, and then they ended up not doing that and i was texting with uh, the baseball sid colin yeager and i asked him about that i was like hey uh did Serwa get honored and I, he was like oh no like Epsi, what? no he actually got another year of eligibility once the after the preview had been written mm-hmm. so <laughs> the fact that sir was supposed to be honored and then he and then they pulled it out after he got that extra year of eligibility makes me think sir was coming back
0: yeah so but that if, shows you the kind of flux that we're dealing with here doesn't it like oh yes for sure we can't even keep i mean the guys who are on the inside can't even keep up with the movement anyway so last thing um, that we wanted to that I wanted to talk about here um and you mentioned the loss to u s f and you wanted to talk a little bit about that Bryson when you look back at that game, I mean, I know I had mentioned it was a microcosm of the season, really I mean it was you know fighting and scraping and clawing and and just not enough, just barely not enough gas to get over the hill um I mean, you can was, argue
3: an arm an arm short like they 've been all season either an, the,
0: an arm short or a hit short, yeah, I really, believe they were just one hit short that's all they were. So Bryson, when you look back at that championship game, covering it as closely as you did, what, were the, what, was the, what was the key takeaway?
1: I think that the key takeaway of this game was that USF had the arms to do it and we didn't. And this is what I mean. We have to really put into context, and Love Lady has talked about all season, about how the starting pitching... Has just not been able to perform, which means more pressure has been that have been you know has been been able to put in the bullpen. You know, mm-hmm. I all the credit in the world goes to Billy McKay, Nick Vieira, Zach Bennett, Ben Vespy, David Lidgefield, all those relief pitchers that have been doing so great this season. But the problem is that the start is that the starters have always have more often than not. Put the relievers into a hole that they've had to defend. And so we wouldn't have had to have make that comeback in the first place had AJ Jones not given up 1.2, like giving up like six runs, six hits, and just 1.2 innings pitch. Yeah. I mean, part of me is relieved that AJ Jones, you know, is leaving after this season. He did a great job against Houston. This isn't anything against him. I'm sure he's a great pitcher. But this season just wasn't that just wasn't good for him and didn't really make a good impression on me. When I saw that AJ Jones was starting this series, they're starting this game. I was nervous because Jones has just not really been there this season. And uh, and I, I, part of me goes back to ECU for a second because if we had not lost game one, which I still don't blame UCF that we lost that game. You know, Cam Colmore, Carson Wisenhunt, ECU's a great team.
0: Yeah, that was was ECU's pitching staff that won that game, you're right.
1: Right. Losing that game one was huge, because that means we had to use Hunter Patterson in game two. And because we used Hunter Patterson in game two, we didn't have, A.J. Jones was really the only starter that we had go because Zach Hansicker was hurt exactly right going into it, going into the championship game yeah because you
0: imagine I, how different it would have been had they won the first game and then Patterson would have had an extra day's rest going and and you would have gone and you would have had your ace going your ostensibly your ace going in the championship game a lefty um yeah you're absolutely right about that come to think of it that was a you know, but Love Lady had to burn him because the because they had to win that second game. You're right. I,
1: no, I completely agree. And Hunter Patterson, amazing job in that second game. All the credit in the world. Oh, is the he credit. good? Like, and I want to credit Hunter Patterson, by the way, because because this season, like Eric said, so much went wrong this season, and even before Colton Gordon got hurt, and then Colton Gordon got hurt, and right. the the rotation had been such a crapshoot. beat after Colton Gordon. For the entire season, including Hunter Patterson, because Patterson, of course, had his struggles in the beginning of the year. So the fact that Patterson stepped in when he did to be the number one pitcher in the rotation and do as well as he did. Absolutely. Like, in my opinion, Hunter Patterson really uh, Hunter Patterson needs to really be credited for saving this season as much as he has. And so the and so that game against ECU really makes me excited for what Hunter Patterson will be able to do in the future but if he comes back
3: if he comes back because he is technically draft eligible and that's the Mm. uncertainty here is we got to see who goes in the draft transfer portal it's going to be wild I mean what what was the number Bryce like Greg said there's like what not uh, over 900 or a thousand names on the portal
0: over a thousand names in the transfer portal
3: yeah and it's the same way in softball and the problem is in softball in particular and somewhat in baseball is you're going to have a a lot of mommies and daddies telling their kid, you know, you're the greatest thing ever. It's the coach's fault. Let's go somewhere else and where the greener is. Oh, it's great. And then they go somewhere else and it doesn't work out. So you're going to have a lot of players' movement uh, because of their mommy and daddy wants them to play because, you know, they don't want to work hard for their job.
1: Clowns. Uh, Bryson, uh, well, Bryson, Hunter, I, th- I think I think Hunter Patterson is working hard. I mean, the love lady has talked talked about His last him.
0: four starts, he was great. Oh, he for was sure. really great.
1: Absolutely great. He had a I will say he did stumble a little bit in that Cincinnati game. because Yeah, he play did.
0: Play that was the, that was the only bad start he had.
1: Right. But I will say that Lo- Love Lady talked about how the moment kind of got to him in that first one, which I get it. He's a young guy. He's a freshman. I completely get that. The good thing was is that the, off- is that base- is that the offense was able to support him in that game. Yeah. Now, wh- and that, but ECU, that was all Hunter. That was mostly Hunter in that game, in that game, especially yeah. since, you know, we won two, one, it was a pitcher's duel, that kind of thing. Alex Freeland was really the only person that was able to back him up in that game. And, and so like that, easy they, they, they squeezed
0: every last bit that they could out of David Litchfield in those last three innings too. Yeah. That was,
1: Litchfield yeah. too. And I don't know if he, I, and he's a redshirt junior. If he comes back, then that's good. Certainly would be great. But I also wouldn't, wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised to see Zach Bennett. Step up and take that closer spot because yeah. of, of his performances in this tournament, which he did in the US in the USF game. Like you said, he didn't he, he went three hit, three innings, didn't allow uh, zero hits for strikeouts. Yeah. But but anyway, that's but this is just kind of the background because every all that is the backdrop coming into the USF game. And going into the USF game, in my opinion, the difference in that game, like I said, I talked about AJ Jones. And now I want to mention you to contrast that with USF because you, because if there is one big difference between USF and UCF, Eric, you know what I'm going to about to talk about here, pitching death. I said this in night shift earlier this week before the tournament, Eric was there. He can vouch for me on this. I said this, that USF's starting pitching death, was going to be the reason why they they were my sleeper pick to make a deep run in this tournament. And that the only reason why they weren't my favorite and they were just a dark horse was because their offense had been iffy this season. And I said that if their offense was able to get going in this tournament, then they were a very formidable team. Lo and behold, look what happened. Their offense got going. The USF batters did step up, but what they've had all along was that was that pitching depth? I want to consult the. Uh, well, uh,
3: again, UCF had injuries of their pitching staffs. So if yeah. UCF had a healthy pitching
0: staff, right. I think it, you have it, a different it, story there. But
3: that's it. the
1: problem that goes back to and even, uh, bad, and even so, luck, luck. UCF
0: was one run away.
1: Yeah, yep. no, I completely agree. But again, though, it, the, USF still managed to pull that that out, and that be and that came from their pitching. I'm looking at the overall stats uh, in for individual pitchers in the American Athletic Conference right now. Four you four USF pitchers in the top eleven. You have in the top eleven. You have Jack Josiah, Dylan Burns, Colin Sullivan, and Brad Lord. Um, now what real? Now I will say, USF did have me ner- Did USF did almost get out at the end when they lost to Tulane that first time. And when I saw that they started Brad Lord, which Brad Lord is the number four of the of those four USF starters. I knew that you know USF was taking a bit of. I felt like USF was taking a bit of a risk starting Brad Lord in that in that game too. In that game in that game against uh, Tulane the second to one because you know Brad Lord had like a as of now he has a four point six nine ERA so obviously he has an ERA that you know isn't isn't the best among USF's pitching arms and but yet they came through and won that game so that means that Colin Sullivan was able to come in and start it and it was able to come in and start this for USF. And he came in, allowed one run and one run on six hits. Great job out of, out of them. But again, I'm, you know, when you look at, at, at USS pitching squad, you have Josiah Burns, Sullivan and Lord all in the top 11. You look at UCF, all you have, um, Jackson Claire is ranked number 12. Hunter Patterson hasn't really been back in the starting rotation that long to be ranked up there. But I would obviously you you can definitely argue you, he's our number one. There's no arguing he's our number one. But then you have just you have Kenny Serwa and A.J. Jones, who have both been very iffy over the course of this season. You know, and and so in my opinion, that's what it that's what it really came down to as far as this entire tournament. You have USF, who had these four really solid really good starting pitchers They're, they don't have like that the, that gavin williams garrett Shanley, that that kind of stuff they don't have like the one guy they have multiple guys
3: right and that and that's oh benefit benefits you in a double elimination format that's why yeah. the double elimination format is flawed which by the way you no. have a double you have a double elimination format but yet in the biggest game of the tournament it's single game Make up your mind. What do you guys want to do?
0: No, no, it's oh. the it's the perfect format, Eric. No, it's, it's awful. Double elim- awful. No, awful. it's not. It's you have two. Atrocious. Basically, you have two two double elimination brackets.
2: Yeah, and then and, the and then and went- then they
0: do the thing that you like, which is they cater to television. They say when it yeah. comes to the <laughs> yeah. end.
3: By the way, for can TV, we improve? We're going to have with-
0: one game, a one winner take all game at the end yeah. for TV. By the way,
3: for TV, can we improve that? Like, can we do better than ESPN News? If we're going to do that, let's just improve ESPN News. Like, we, the championship game should not just be on ESPN News. Like, we could do better than that. And uh, look, South Florida was lucky. Let's be real, and they're going to get the reward, which is an ass kicking by Florida and Miami in the Gainesville <laughs> regional. So I don't. Let's. That's enough South Florida talk
0: yeah. for this
3: program. All right. All right. Well,
0: let's, let's, for, for UCF. 31 and 30 on the regular season we head into the off season who knows what we're going to see here in the in the coming uh weeks and months but we'll be keeping a track of it. all right we're going to take a break when we come back we'll talk a little track and field and just kind of wrap up this wild spring real quick here on the black and gold Banneret podcast uh it's jeff eric and bryson with you here on the black and gold Banneret podcast stick around we'll be right back All right, welcome back to the show. Jeff, Eric, and Bryson with you as we wrap up. This is basically almost it. You know, there's one UCF sport that is actually still ongoing as of our recording this. It's uh, track and field, actually. Two UCF Knights are in uh, the national finals uh, out in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, Ashira Collins in the triple jump uh, qualified with a, a jump in the East Regionals in Jacksonville with a jump of 43 feet one and a half inches, uh, that sets a new freshman record for UCF. So she's going to the NCAA Championships. First night to qualify in the triple jump for the NCAA since Dion Thomas back in 2009. And then of course there's uh, Renaya Jones, who we know is just has just had has just been a revelation um, this year in track and field. She qualified in her, um, in her main event, which is the 100-meter hurdles. Uh, fifth overall in Jacksonville at 12.89. Not her personal best, um, but that shows you actually how good her personal best was. Um, and that was good enough to get her to the semis in Eugene. Uh, and is the first night since uh, Jackie Coward, who uh, was our very first interviewee on this podcast. Uh, first UCF night since Jackie to advance the NCAA championships in the hundred hurdles. Um, so, uh, so that there's your uh, so there's your two UCF qualifiers for uh, Oregon, Renaya and uh, Ashira Collins uh, for the NCAA uh, Division One uh, championships. I will tell you guys, there's some stiff competition in the East region. There's two regionals. There's the East and the West, and the East was the one that was held hosted by UNF in Jacksonville. And you got some stiff competition out there because it's all the it's all the Southern track and field powers that are out there. Your SECs, your ACCs, they're all out there. So this is a pretty impressive showing by the two of them in this event, isn't it?
3: Yes, it is. It's very impressive, and yeah, you know, we'll see how they fare. I mean, obviously, it's going to be Eugene. It's a big stage. Uh, that'll be exciting. It'll be good exposure. And uh, boy, Renae Jones has been the story of this spring. I mean, it's, she's taken it by storm. And, you know, we had Dana boot on last week on the podcast and and talked about this. I mean, this is a young roster, but it's got a bright future with, I think, a lot of potential star athletes. Kind of back to, you know, the Jackie Cowards and and the Freemans and Ariel Scotts of the early 2010s and 2013 range. I think we could be headed into that direction. They probably are a little bit ahead of schedule. But uh, when you have a freshman phenom like a Reniah Jones kind of leading the way, among others, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how this is, how they fare. And it's good to see track and field, you know, in, in Eugene, Oregon, kind of be the official end of a season like normal in the past.
0: Yeah. Uh, the schedule for Eugene, the 100 hurdles semis are at 430 on, a week from today. We're recording this on Thursday, June 3rd in the morning. Um 100 Hurdles are at 4.30 on Thursday, June 10th. Uh, That's the semifinals. And then the finals would be uh, just before, about quarter to four, um, and that's local time, um, on uh, Saturday, June the 12th. Triple jump uh, final for the women, uh, which Sherry Collins is going to be in, is about 3.20 p.m., on uh, Saturday, June 12th. So it's going to be, it's... Listen, the busier UCF is in the NCAA Track and Field Championships, the better. I I, I love seeing this. Bryson, let me ask you about um, Renaya because you were following things pretty closely and you were enthusiastic to us about seeing, you know, her qualify. Um, what a star she's become. And, and I don't want to, uh, you know, gloss over what Ashira Collins did also in the triple jump because I think that she was kind of a surprise... Uh, a little bit, but she made she qualified too with a really clutch jump on her last jump, set a personal best. It was do or die for her and she made it.
1: Yes, indeed. I, I I'm, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at, in the uh, women's triple jump first round. I'm looking at her thing right now. I believe it says she qualified. 11, um, yeah, she qualified 11th out of 12, like the top 12 mm-hmm. uh, jumps were, were moved on. And she got in at eleventh place. It was her personal set, her personal best too, which cl- definitely cl- a clutch performance out of her. Um, the fact that she's a freshman. I mean, I talk. I mean, we talked about Renaya Jones and how you know, and how you know, a redshirt freshman, and she's able to do all this. And I, will talk about her in a second. But yeah, with the, with Collins, she's she's a freshman just like Renaya, and she's managed to make it to the state to the, to the championships. In her, in her first year as a freshman, do, did so in a clutch way. Very proud to see Ashira there, and I'm excited. And I'm excited to see what she can do. But of course, a lot of the eyes are going to be on Renaya Jones, who who had managed to qualify for her 100 meter her, meter hurdles. And I think that it, it is, and it is a stiff competition. you you're talking. You're, you said you're talking about the. You, you talk about the SEC schools. Uh, we also have North Carolina, the North Carolina A&T, who's had a really, who had a, whose track department had a really good showing mm-hmm. in the in the East. But um, but I think that a big thing to watch at at her is going to be can she replicate the time that she had in the American Championships because we know that she can do it. She did it. Yep. So and I and it'll it'll be interesting to see if she's able to do that. And all, and then of course, moving forward, once we get to the, once we go through the championships, and that's something that I watch being a fan of the Olympics is to see if she will decide to compete in the U S Olympic trials, which take place a little bit after the championships because in the same uh, place,
0: by the way, at Hayward field in uh, Eugene, Oregon, which is the really the home of us um, of us track and field. Um, the Olympic trials are right after, like you said, June 18th through the 27th. So it's a busy busy couple of weeks in Eugene between the NCAAs and the Olympic trials, huh?
1: Yes indeed. I'm I will'm I'm, I'm excited to see if Rena deci- if Renaya elects to do it or not. I hope I personally hope she does because I would love to see a UCF night in the in the Olympic trials, maybe go maybe be able to compete in Tokyo. That'd certainly be a very fu- a very fun thing to, cover in the summer so considering considering you know sports is going to be leaner and so not only be covering the news revolving the transfer portal in different sports it'd be great to, it'd be great to cover a night in the olympics if in if indeed things go right but yeah. obviously that's you know that's still pretty that's still pretty far off i just figured i'd mention that so that way it so that way we are poised to see it happen if it does happen but as far as the championships go. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Wania will do, and uh, we'll s- and yeah, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I'm looking to see if the- if they're gonna televise this anywhere. I don't see anything in particular. Eric, do you see? Usually, else? Uh, ESPN. Sometimes they'll put it on either one of their ESPN networks. Some,
3: uh, yeah, but I think
0: the- I think the the semis might be a little bit different. Usually, they show the the finals of all yeah, these yeah, events, right? Yeah, so yeah. I'm trying to see if we're gonna see um see the NCAA track and field competitions. Uh, on uh, TV, even if they're streaming it, I think that would be, be, I would hope that they would stream it, it's the Nationals for crying out loud um, if we do, we'll, if they do we will update you, uh, follow our Twitter account UCF underscore Banneret for the latest um, on that alright, so as we wrap this up, you know, j- and just real quick we're going to do a lot more wrap up stuff here in the next couple of weeks, by the way, we're going to take, again just as a reminder, we're going to take next week of the show off, because, you know we have lives and we want to take a little bit of a break um and then we will have and then we will return the following week with our uh with our banneret awards nomination show and we're going to take some time to you know kind of recap the year there as well hopefully we'll have a full house for that show as well um
1: we'll have good news from track and field as well because that's
0: also our hope because that might be our one of our events of the year who knows um but then uh, and then we'll have our uh, the black and gold banner awards the week after that because we're going to give the, uh, you the fans a chance to vote on that and you'll have a vote and a say in who wins the awards um but as we wrap up this um spring season the busiest spring season in uh, ucf sports history uh fellas it's eric um well bryson let me start with you Yeah, I know. Obviously, you were a latecomer, but you have followed UCF sports very closely ever since you became a student. You latecomer to us, but what was the highlight of the spring for you this year?
1: Honestly, I think a big highlight for me was just seeing you seeing UCF baseball come through as much as it has. I mean, look, 2020, early 2021, just a tough year. Just a tough year for not just UCF but this entire country. And to see a team like us, like UCF baseball, come through as much as it has, to have the setbacks that it had, and still manage to see some, to see the success and potential that it still has, is very inspiring for me, and very, I still feel very optimistic about that. Um, if I had to, but if I did have to say, if there's one big highlight though, because baseball is just something that I'm, I like talking about, but if there's one thing that I want that I'd say would be kind of the I guess the story of the spring I guess is the rise of Renaya Jones because seeing her in the American championship and seeing her qualify for the Olympic trials I think we're, we are seeing the beginning of a of a of like a I don't know what's the word I guess all-time US, UCF track and field athlete to see because to see this this girl this woman as a freshman make the make a make a time that qualifies her for the U.S. Olympic trials as a freshman is amazing to me and if she can do that as a freshman then I am I am excited to see what she'll be able to do in the years to come so the rise of Renia Jones I think might be the 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 big story of the spring but I wouldn't discount baseball and the trials and tribulations that they've had to go through this entire spring. Eric how about you? You had seven
3: teams play for an American Conference championship game uh, in spring alone, starting with women's basketball. You had softball, baseball, men's soccer, volleyball, women's and men's tennis, won four of them. You had women's golf make the tournament as well uh rowing would have made the tournament if they didn't get shafted by some shady you know ivy league nonsense in rowing where you put a waiver in to qualify for the tournament i thought the ivy league decided to take the year off like get out of here um <laughs> nonsense there but uh yeah i mean you had Gabe the camps going to the quarterfinals, deepest penetration for any men's tennis player or any tennis player in the history of ucf so pretty wild spring uh one that we will hopefully never have to go through again uh at (laughs) least the next time it does next time we have a pandemic we'll all be dead so uh oh my god well i mean i i mean if the next one probably be in a hundred years if we're still alive that's a that's some interesting magical science off. i get
0: what you're saying now
1: oh (laughs) i was thinking like gee softball's been really getting to him man uh
3: so no it's been an exciting spring uh pretty successful considering all the, the the climate really when you think about it um you know they had to deal with a lot of stuff off the field and to accomplish the success on the field most of the teams did was pretty impressive so I look forward to the bannies in a couple weeks uh that'll be exciting and you know bef- and then after that before you know it I know people get, get get ready for football we had the football kickoff times announced recently with mm-hmm. as I predicted for weeks very predictable Boise State Thursday night game are night yeah, you're welcome um as well as the Navy game was kicked off, so really, you, what are the rare times as a UCF fan, you've got the first month of the football schedule pretty much figured out, so you can start making plans for that. That'll be exciting as well under the Gus Malzahn era, which I think will, as we'll we'll talk about as we get into the fall, uh, closer to the fall, I think this will be the most watched UCF football season of all time nationally. That's my bold prediction there.
0: That's a pretty bold prediction, but I, I don't know. That might not be as bold as you think because people are interested in Gus Malzahn. They're yep. going to see what, yep. what this is all about. He's, uh, yep. he's the straw that stirs that drink.
3: He is the biggest star UCF's ever had yeah. uh, in, in that program. With all due respect to all the players, and he, they am telling you, there are people in Birmingham and other SEC markets, quote-unquote, that will watch UCF football that have not watched, don't watch UCF football on a regular basis. And I think that, he, it's been pretty remarkable to see the, the reaction nationally to the point where I think there's UCF guys We're a, we're no longer the heels of football anymore. We're we got people that are gonna be rooting for
1: UCF. Yeah, well, that also has to do with the change in athletic department direction as well. Because you could argue that turn to the heel had a bit to do with uh, Danny White's and how he ran things and I mean, you know, I think that if if Danny White was era was sort of like UCF kind of getting itself on the map, being a young upstart heel kind of thing, Terry Mohajer is going to be the era of where UCF athletics is able to mature a little bit and be able to to now you know gain the gain the respect of a lot of people more. Yeah.
3: Well, well, well that's a great point. By the way, we talk about all the sports going on in the spring, but all the movement going on in the mid-ish with Danny White leaving, Terry Mahajer coming in, you know, in the middle uh, of a pandemic, Josh Heupel leaving, and uh, Gus Malzahn taking it over. It's been it's been a pretty wild spring. I mean, if anybody wants to do a documentary about it, Netflix
0: about it, they could do it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, my highlights are you know seeing volleyball win a con- win another conference championship and fight and scrape the way that they did. Um, you know, in the, in, in some of those tougher matches where, you know, they were playing teams a third time. That was amazing. Tennis, just an outstanding job by both squads. Um, you know, men's soccer. Wow. Finally breaking through beating SMU in PKs, beating Tulsa and winning that conference championship at home at long last. So happy for Scott Calabrese and his team. Um, you know, Hey, four conference championships in the spring, Doggone close to seven. Um, you know, you, you got to be... And actually, doggone close to eight, to be honest with you. Um, you know, uh, just announce... I, I think there's, there's no way you can say that this spring was anything other than a success for UCF. And my big shout-out goes to all the folks behind the scenes at UCF who made this spring happen. It was an incredibly heavy lift doing two semesters of sports in one basically with soccer and volleyball being moved to the spring, you know, the, the facility staff, the, the communication staff, the marketing staff, everybody, um, you know, the, the coaches and obviously the players, the support staff, who you don't see, you know, directors of operations and team managers and things like that, you know, that, you know, who had an, to, it really was. And I said this, I had a Twitter thread a few days ago about this because I I really was, you know, I I was kind of emotional at the end of that, at the end of UCF baseball's, um, yeah, the regular season, that last home event, it was like, wow, all of a sudden it's over, uh, in terms of home events, it was. And, you know, it really was a miracle that we had any sports at all this year at UCF. Um, and that they were able, you know, not just UCF, but every school in the country was able to pull it off, um, you know, is, is something that we should, you know, really stand back and give a standing O to because um, the coaches, the players, the staff, everyone deserves it for, you know, doing what they did in the middle of, uh, you know, a pandemic and tremendous adversity. And, you know, and really they very, you know, and, and what you don't see is, you know, what a lot of people had to deal with, you know, not seeing family for a long time, not seeing your support system for a long time. In many cases, practicing in very physically distanced fashions, which is, you know, which really cuts down on the amount of, um, on the amount of, um, you know, bonding time. I think the coaches really talked to us a lot about that too, guys, right? Was like, you know, you didn't, you didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of those team activities together um, that, that, you know, help form the chemistry that you're looking for in the course of, in the course of a season. So despite all that for UCF to have as much success on the field and off the field academically as they did, um, is just a a miracle, a real miracle. And, you know, we obviously are thankful that they, they allow us to, to follow along with it all because it's, um, because it was, it was quite the year. And, uh, Uh, here's hoping to here's to a good summer and hopefully we don't have to deal with this compressed schedule again (laughs) because man that was that was wild but it wasn't nearly as wild for us as it was for the people inside the building and we were glad that we were able to provide provide uh provide them some uh some credit to you know what they were able to do so all right fellas well let's what do you say we wrap this up uh make sure you follow us on twitter ucf underscore banner at facebook.com slash blackmail banner follow us each individually I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Bryson is at It's Bryson Turner, I-T-S Bryson, B-R-Y-S-O-N Turner uh, on Twitter. And uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast uh, if you don't already. Uh, Via Apple Podcasts, if you're an iOS user, if you're an Android user, you can subscribe to us on Spotify. If you already subscribe to us, make sure you leave us a rating and a comment. We really appreciate it. And also share this podcast With some of your uh, with some of your UCF friends, uh, tell them about us and make sure that uh, and and ask them to subscribe to us too. It really does help us out and it helps UCF out uh, in terms of a little bit more attention for a program that we all know and love here uh, in in, here at UCF. So for Bryson Turner and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to take next week off. We'll be back middle of June. Talk about the Black and Gold banneret Awards uh, when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll see you again in two weeks.